Real leaders leave a legacy. They capture the hearts and minds of their teams. Their origin story puts the safety and well-being of their people first. Great companies ubiquitously have safe yet productive operations. For those companies, safety is an investment, not a cost for the C-suite. It's a real topic of daily focus. This is The Safety Guru with your host, Eric McCroskey, a globally recognized ops and safety guru, public speaker, and author. Are you ready to leave a safety legacy? Your legacy success story begins now. Hi, and welcome to The Safety Guru. Today, I'm very excited to have a very special guest, Ron Gant. He's the head of HSC for a company called Yonder. Uh, he's got an incredible background around safety. We'll get into that very soon. We, we met a couple years back, had lots of conversation. He's got incredible ideas on the uh, employee input part, which is such a critical part of uh, HSC in general. So, Ron, welcome to the show. Maybe tell me a little bit about how you got interested in safety and how your journey started. Thanks, Eric. I appreciate that. I'm excited to be here. So, yeah, I uh, I, don't, I find I'm I, I have a similar-ish story to a lot of HSE people in that I had no desire to be in HSE, <laughs> and I sell or fell into it. Um, my dad actually started a, a safety company when he uh, retired from the fire service, and I always swore I'd never join it. Um, but then I found myself in need of a job, uh, and so I asked my dad for a temporary job inspecting fire <laughs> extinguishers. And uh, and so he was kind enough to give it to me, and and I don't know, I here I, I here I am in the profession twenty uh, over twenty years later, but you know, kind of in that time when I when I got started, I started to realize, hey, this is interesting, and you know, I did sort of the normal stuff safety people do, you know, I got my initial degree in safety, and then my CSP, um, you know, which it, for people here in the United States, most people know who, what that means, but but then I. I I then made the mistake of getting a degree in psychology as well. And that sort of like opened up my eyes in a number of other areas because, you know, one of the things I realized is that we have a lot that uh, we do in safety that's very technically focused yes. um, in terms of, you know, uh, you know, hazards and, and engineering issues. But there's a whole slew of things that are, about people and and literally everything we do touches people to some degree and, and I just felt like I was never equipped for that you know I was and so that, that kind of led me on a path of you know uh, both kind of self-directed learning and um, also you know getting in my graduate degree um, and uh, and trying to finish my PhD currently right now in cognitive science um, and cognitive systems engineering so uh, and so my the kind of the, the the way I think about it now is is you know safety is is a supporting function right and I think we're going to talk a lot about this yep. but that's that's the thing that's really interesting to me how do I support people how do I create the conditions for human thriving at work and so that's that's the question that keeps me going keeps me moving forward if that makes sense it does and I think you're right because we tend to look at safety very technically and and at the end of the day it's people that interact with systems with procedures and as humans we're we're fallible we make mistakes it's it's just who hasn't made a mistake and and who who planned for the mistake few people decide in the morning these are the five things i'm going to do today that are going to be wrong so so <laughs> tell me a little bit about uh, some of the areas particularly around employee involvement uh, listening to employees because to me that's that's a secret sauce that's a differentiator that so many people 
kind of do, but maybe at a 5% potential uh, in terms of yeah. what you could do. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the other things that I realized about my job is, is how often I was put in a position to tell people how to do jobs I've never done before. Right. Um, and that just seemed wrong. And so the natural, you know, kind of logical conclusion to that is, okay, well, I have to involve them in this process then like I may have a piece of the puzzle in terms of knowing a regulation or a technical, you know, some technical knowledge about a hazard or a risk, but I don't know about their specific uh, task. I don't sure. know the, about the conflicts. And so to me, when you realize that you start to realize that a skill that we have to build is the ability to engage with people who do work, ask them the questions, you know, about what it is that they're doing and, and how do we bring in and bringing them to the table to, to help us do our jobs more effectively, if that makes sense. It, it absolutely does. And, and so how, how have you seen that work really well in organizations, really tapping into the people on a, as a, as a, on a regular basis? Because often I see people do it on a project basis. Oh, we need to consult an employee. But what you're talking about is much more getting back to, really the grassroots and involving them day in, day out. Yeah. And I, I'm glad you said that because on that project basis, um, mm -hmm. a lot of times people get the idea of employee engagement, employee involvement, employee participation, whatever kind of banner we put it under. And it's like, okay, well, I have a, this procedure I just wrote. Let me give it to the employees and see what they think about it. You know, and that's the extent of it. So we developed the problem. We even developed most of the solution and we're just getting their thumbs up on it at the end. Which is good. I mean, we should do that. Um, but what I'm talking about is more actually having the employees help us identify the problems to begin with. Like, do we even know what the challenges and difficulties and risks and hazards and things are? And so to in doing that, I think, you know, one of the first steps that I, I try to get in, in my organization and in, in the organizations I worked with when I was a consultant is is rethinking something as simple as the open door policy mm -hmm. right because the open door policy is oh my door is always open you can tell me if there's problems well yeah, that's great we should have that but you know when i take over the world i'm going to change it so the open door policy is i'm opening my door to walk outside of my office to go talk to people um right and i think you know we we have to be much more intentional about that and see that as a critical piece of our work and obviously our you know uh, other leaders in the organization who are in other functions because if if our work is something that touches the work that other people do it's sort of like customer research if you will you need to understand how, you know are we meeting that customer need um, do we even understand their needs you know so getting out talking to people you know, it's sort of that kind of management by walking around, yep. Gemba walk, you know, all those kinds of banners. It's, it's that similar stuff. And so, I mean, it's something as simple as that is, is a great place I've seen a lot of organizations start. Yeah, and I, I've even seen organizations where they take it to the level where the supervisor's engaging every team member almost every day to, to get them in a conversation around how could you do the job that you're doing in a way that's safer, maybe that brings higher quality and also higher productivity, but more an exploration of almost from a coaching, but not coaching in the traditional way where I'm coaching you to do it my way, coaching you to think about a different way, 
to do this even safer or, or hazards you hadn't explored? Yeah, absolutely. Well, and, and one of the, the fundamental challenges we have in the work we do is that because we're dealing with people, you know, one of the like advantages of people is also something that's it disadvantages us, mm-hmm. right? The advan- one of the advantages of people is that people are so good at dealing with imperfection that they hide the imperfections they deal with, with their expertise. Right. And, and they do it without even thinking about it. They just, we just do it all the time. <laughs> you know, we're all used to having our bosses tell us, Hey, I need you to get this project done in two months. And we're like, that's a six month project. And yet we still somehow pull it out in the end. And we just do that. It's just regular. Right. And so, so to your point, like regularly engaging with people and asking them questions about what is it about this, this task that's difficult? What is it about, you know, what are the challenges? What's the dumbest thing we're asking you to do? What's the, what's the thing that's adding the least value? What's something that you wish, wish, you know, management knew about your job that they don't, you don't think they appreciate, you know, questions about struggle, about difficulty, start to uncover these things that people are having to adapt to. And when you find those things, it's sort of like seeing the, uh, you're starting to see the proverbial dirt pathway in the park that, you know, cuts the corner around the uh, paved pathway. Because where you find difficulty, that's where you find risk, right? Where, where work is difficult, that's where you're going to find mistakes. That's also where you're going to find shortcuts. And so we can start to, even, even stuff that people didn't necessarily appreciate as risky, you start to see, oh, wow. If I improve people's ability to get work done, that's going to make it safer. And I think the other part is, as you're asking questions, and I love the questions you've shared, you're getting people to think about risk hazards, the work that they're doing, and and being more aware. Because it can become rather dull if you're doing the same thing over and over. Uh, and then here you're getting people to start thinking about, there's a better way to do this. What are some of the things that go wrong? What are What's some of the stuff that I'm patching on a regular basis that I shouldn't have to patch uh, because something in the process isn't working. Yeah, there's a, you know, one of the uh, you know, kind of good questions, and I don't think you should ask it all the time, but occasionally asking people, what's what are we putting up with here? Right. You know, what's the what's the thing that you know we're just we're just got used to stepping over this this really bad thing every day? You know. Um, whether it's a, a you know a really dangerous thing or a, a process that's just not adding value or whatever it is, right? Um, you know, asking that it helps people rethink. Hey, wait a minute, you know that is something that we probably should we should probably pay more attention to. Mm-hmm. And a that helps them become more aware that this is this is not just normal everyday stuff. This is actually a risk that I I'm actively managing. I need to be maybe more mindful of. But it also helps you recognize, wow, there's, there's something I didn't even realize was there. Maybe I can help support them. Like the phrase that comes in my head is you're sort of creating, um, I think it was uh, Stanley McChrystal, General Stanley McChrystal talked about creating a shared consciousness, mm-hmm. you know, of, of the, how the work is being done, good, bad, and ugly. You know what I mean? Um, so, yeah, I like that. It, it reminds me of probably the favorite quote somebody shared with me, and it was uh, somebody who had worked, in the big three automotive uh, on the manufacturing side. And he shared there was this gentleman who was on his last day before he retired. He, he's, he said he was kind of talking to all the leadership and he said, thank you for everything you did. Appreciate you paid me, but you could have had my brain for free. 
Oh, yeah, absolutely. I love that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and it, what pops in my head is, is something that a good friend of mine, a guy named Daniel Hummerdahl said, um, you know, our employees have far more capacity than what is written on their job description, you know? Um, and, and the story he told me to, to, he told me, and then he subsequently put in a blog post to illustrate that is he was, he was at a, working at a mine site in Australia at the time. And they were dealing with a number of issues and, you know, he was engaging like in what we're talking about, you know, engaging work for workers, asking them, Hey, what, what are those challenges? And not just engaging them and identifying the problems, but also in the solutions. And he found this one frontline worker who happened to have a graduate degree in illumination somehow, which allowed them to deal with a lighting issue that they had been struggling to deal with for a long time. Like, who would have thought, you know, um, you know, and, and it's, I think it's just a great example of, you know, like you said, you pay for the entire worker, you know, the, uh, the head is not the unintended consequence of hiring a human. Correct. Um, there's, a of, there's a lot of capacity that's there that we could, we could really leverage, especially in dealing with those complex problems that a lot of, you know, really forward thinking organizations are dealing with these days. And I think that's a really good point. The other part it says is many organizations complain that they're resource constrained. They don't have enough people yeah. to fix things, to address things. But if you're if you start disseminating this, you, you create an army of problem solvers, people that can go and and fix things, it can improve things, and sometimes do it in a much easier, lighter way. Absolutely. Yeah. And it almost becomes a, a sort of a virtuous cycle, right? You, you start engaging with the workers, showing them that, you know, they're, they're part of the organization, they're part of the solution, really, to, to these problems, which kind of builds their confidence, which not only gets them involved, but can increase their own capacity, right? You know, sense of self-efficacy makes people more effective in sure. their roles, right? And and then that starts to get things better and people start to feel better about it. And then, you know, it becomes a better place to work. And, you know, and then it's all puppy dogs and ice cream from there. Um, yeah, no. Exactly. Uh, but you know, right. <laughs> yeah, it's a good thing. How, how do you start making that shift in an organization? Because you talk, I like when you said, keep the door open, but to get out of your office. Uh, I remember once I had an operational role and I just refused to sit in the office because I figured that's not where the work's being done. So... It just isolates me from from what's happening in the operation. Um, so how how do you start driving that shift? Because you can do it person by person, but where I've seen this really take hold is when the organization starts recognizing that there is a lot more value in the people that are working there. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I do. You know, it does work best when it's a an organization wide sort of understanding, and and then they they work at it as an organization. Because, I mean, if you're just a, the loan manager, you know, and like, hey, this sounds good. I want to go try this. Yeah, you can go do that, you know, but that's a little bit more challenging. So uh, at an organizational level, I think there's two things. So number one, you do want to encourage this, like, building of conversation, this building of, of you know, getting out and talking to people. But part of that encouragement is also thinking about the processes in the organization that either encourage or inadvertently discourage that. You know, to your point, you know, how how many times do we have operational roles or functional roles that really need to collaborate but are separated by time and space? Um, 
you know, that discourages conversation. Sure. I, I'm reminded of a, a safety professional for a public um, public works agency uh, that I was speaking with one time, and she said the best thing that ever happened to build her safety culture was when she moved her office from downtown to being at the yard where the workers are and changed her work hours, her and her team's work hours, to be the exact same. And, she, you know, the thing she said I think was so meaningful, she said, you know, when you, it's because when you're walking from the parking lot with all the workers and, and you start talking about, hey, how are your kids? How was your weekend? You know, that just starts to build trust, which, you know, A, is a good thing on its own, but also then makes it easier for people to talk to each other. You know, um, it, it kind of greases the wheels of that conversation. So, and, that, and that's, you know, that's partly a process thing. That's partly a, you know, a, a, a structural thing. So that, you know, at an organizational level, we can start to look at that. Who needs to be collaborating and how are we encouraging that or discouraging that? Um, you know, another example are, are sometimes we have schemes related to accountability or, um, you know, discipline and, or even incentive structures that encourage, you know, people to just go off on their own or, you know, or, or encourage people to come together and talk. Right. You know, so I think looking at this systemically is going to be a critical piece. Are we embedding conversation and dialogue into our management system mm -hmm. or is it all just paperwork? You know what I mean? I think those are good points. I, I, um, one thing I've seen as well work is, is trying to, and I, I hate the word measure because it can have unintended consequences, but basically start to see how many people have we involved this year in improving safety, yeah. right? So, so starting to get an actual count of number of workers that were directly involved in driving improvements and, and using that as a metric, not go find the ROI, not go find what they, they did in terms of DART rate or, or any kind of rate, but just, just seeing how many people have actually been involved in the projects and, and put a target that sometimes that's, that's big, that's like, I want 20%, 40% of the workforce involved in all the changes we're doing. Because then it starts forcing leaders to start thinking about, okay, I can't do it myself. I need somebody else to, to be part of this and I need to empower them towards it. It can have unintended consequences like any metric, but it, it shifts the message around, don't solve it yourself, involve employees in it. Yeah, yeah. And I think, I think that's it. What you just said, it can have an, and, and so anytime you do a, a metric like that, you want to like a, be monitoring for that. Sure. And so one of the things I recommend to balance that is whenever you put in a quantitative metric like that, think of a qualitative measure to see, is it actually getting, you know, what we want, yeah. you know, uh, are people actually speaking up in these, in these situations or are they just, Hey, we invited you to the meeting. Therefore you've been engaged, um, you know, kind of thing. Are we actually getting people to feel like, no, this is, that was, that's my, that's my thing that I did. I did that, you know? Um, and I think there are, you know, it, if we can start to measure it quantitatively, but also be gathering those stories 100%. that show this is moving the needle, I think that's that's going to be really compelling for people. The other thing I've, I've seen is on the quality side, there's been a lot more work done in many organizations around worker involvement, worker participation. And I, and I think it's also saying, in some cases saying, what's worked for quality could work for safety too. Uh, because they do a lot of Kaizans or 
or however they call it in terms of bringing employees to solve problems. But the problem you're solving could be an ergo issue. It could be a, a safety issue. It could be just saying, when you're trying to solve this quality issue, safety is also a metric that matters, as an example. And, and just that they've created a lot of practices, processes, methods that get that worker involvement in a regular kind of method, at least in the, in the higher performing organizations in that way. This episode of the Safety Guru Podcast is brought to you by Propolo Consulting, the leading safety and safety culture advisory firm. Whether you are looking to assess your safety culture, de develop strategies to level up your safety performance, introduce human performance capabilities, re-energize your BBS program, enhance supervisory safety capabilities, or introduce unique safety leadership training and talent solutions, Propolo has you covered. Visit us at propolo.com. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think being, because I mean, honestly, at the end of the day, it's, it's, it sounds really obvious when you say it, but like, if you have a problem, you bring together the people who know the most about that, yeah. that problem, about the context of it. And, and if we're trying to solve a problem around a work process, Sorry, who's going to know more than the people who actually do that work? Um, you know, sure. so it, yeah, there's going to be other people who have other perspectives that are important as well. You know, if it's engineering or whoever, but like, yeah, the workers have a seat at that table, right? They should, and so um, you know, and especially from a safety perspective, because again, when we see this as a technical mm -hmm. sort of problem to solve, then. Involving the workers doesn't matter. I have the technical knowledge. It lives in my head. They don't have it. But when we see this as it's that technical problem then has to exist amongst other problems that these workers have to meld together into this thing that we call work, which has, you know, goal conflicts and scarce resources that they're managing and relationships and, you know, all of these things on a daily basis they're managing, then I'm not going to know how that's going to work. They're going to know how that's going to work, right? Yeah. Um, it doesn't mean that I'm irrelevant. That just means that I'm my voice is not any more privileged than their voice. Mm -hmm. You know, we all have an equal kind of perspective that we can bring that's valuable and useful. So, yeah, I think learning from from like you know the the kaizen kind of quality approach is extremely valuable for safety professionals. Um, one one organization that I saw that did it, I think, really well, and it, they pointed to this as one of their big sort of changes. It was a chemical plant, and they, you know, this they already had kind of a, an environment where you know people started talking to each other. But then they said, you know what, we have these you know safety problems, engineering problems, um, you know, quality problems that you know, it'd be good if we got people's perspective on it. So how about we just create a regular meeting um, that we just, anybody can show up, hmm. you know, anybody, you know, anybody can just show up. We're going to invite everybody. And if you got something you want to talk about, we're going to talk about it. And they, they called it the smart team, um, which they, it was one of those acronyms that like, uh, you know, people wanted to call it smart. So let's find an acronym that fits with smart. <laughs> Um, it's like sharing minds, attitudes, resources, and technology, or something like that. I can't remember the exact uh, words, but but it was that that was it. It was just an open conversation. Sometimes they, you know, sometimes it got a little bit rowdy because everybody was talking. You know, you had the mechanics there, you had the operations there, you had 
uh, management there, you had engineering there, but everybody's voice was equal mm. there. So people would come and, and just say, hey, I'm, you know, engineers would say, hey, I'm thinking of uh, replacing this valve. What do you all think? You know, or my mechanics would say, hey, this PPE that we're using, I don't think it's great. Is there another option? What do you think? You know, and we would just group problem solve. Sure. You know, and I think I applaud management the, the most because they create, that's hard for them to do to let go of the reins in those situations. Absolutely. Right. And I think that's why a lot of organizations don't do things like this because it, you're sort of giving up control over the outcome. Um, but the end result is often way better when you do so because you're getting more perspective. It's better, and, and even if it's not always better, I think this, one of the learnings I had, which is actually an interesting one, is at the end of the day, you talked about it's a human, it's humans, that are, we're, we're making decisions, and we, we don't like to be told what to do. If we're part of the solutioning, we're more likely to accept it, right? As long as we were heard, it, it's, we're part of it. So it's an acceptance piece. And, and one of the things I learned, this, was, this came from quality and from change at, at General Electric way, way back, is they had this perfect engineering equation, Q times A equals E. I don't know if you've heard it, but it's the quality of the change mm. you're driving times the acceptance equals the effectiveness of it, right? So uh. what they were saying is if I have a 10 in quality of the change, but a one in acceptance, then the effectiveness is 10. Even if I had a five in terms of the quality, but acceptance was five, right away my, my effectiveness is 25. So, so it's really recognizing that it, part of it is getting quality, part of it is a solution that people are willing to do and that they felt they were part of. None of us ever is happy when a rule is imposed on us and we have no say. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I think that's, that's a really valuable insight too. Um, it, it's, you know, it, the analogy pops in my head from psychology is the Ikea effect, yep. um, you know, where, yeah, you, the, what you build is something you, you treasure a bit more than if I just bought furniture from somewhere else, um, you know, uh, and I, and I think, you know, whether the furniture's better or not almost doesn't matter. I perceive it as better. And so I'm going to treasure it more. Sure. And I think a lot of safety people in particular, but you see this, you know, in other uh, fields as well, that it gets so frustrated that, man, I mean, a friend, a colleague of mine had it at the beginning of his book uh, that he wrote where he said that, you know, safety people should be on everybody's Christmas card list, but we're not. Why is that? Um, you know, because we're trying to help everybody, but like, they're not adopting what we say. And I think sometimes it's because we're trying to force feed them and not bringing them along and allowing them to build something that they can see themselves in. You know, I think that's, that's, it's a, it's a, it's a shift, it's a change, but it's so important, especially when we want people to have, you know, another term that we kind of are kind of talking about here is ownership. Mm -hmm. You know, how can people own the safety program if we don't let them own it? <laughs> you know, don't let them create it. You know? I had uh, Dr. Josh Williams on the show many months ago and, and he shared some work he had done when he was in grad school and it was had to do with the implementation of an observation program many years ago and one was done by the consultant so it was technically the strongest observation program and then the other one was done by the workers they created it with some guidance but it was theirs the participation of the one that was created by the workers was 7x higher than the one that was probably technically stronger created by the consultant right because it was theirs 
They were comfortable doing peer observations. They understood the concept. They designed it. They understood everything that was about it. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it reminds me of a concept when, when I do like leadership trainings or talk about leadership and we try to say, okay, what is a leader? And, and, you know, ultimately the, the best definition of leadership I, I can think of is a leader is someone who has followers and is working with those followers towards a shared goal. But if you don't have followers, it doesn't matter, right? You can have a really, you know, maybe we would say a bad leader, but if they have a bunch of followers, that's probably better than a leader without any, yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, and so in the same way, a solution that's amazing, the best technology on earth. I mean, ask, ask Google about their glasses. Um, that no one uses is is not going to really be effective. Correct. Um, so I th I think yeah, having people buy into it, and I, I think that equation you said is really really profound in that regard. Having people buy into it and means having people create it with you. Yep, and more likely to follow it, right? Because that's the thing is that you could have the perfect process, but then if people are only following when when somebody's watching, then you've not solved the problem. Absolutely. Yeah. And, the, and they follow it, I think, because A, it's theirs. And sure. so there's a pride of ownership, right? Um, but also B, the process of them creating it, going back to that, those um, entangled sort of uh, goal conflicts and things, they, they are incorporating that, that subject matter expertise into the development of it. And I've found whenever I've, you know, kind of engaged in these processes where you're building these you know, whether it's program, process, procedure, whatever, with with the worker, having them build it with you, um, it's not uncommon. It's actually more uncommon than not that it doesn't happen. That I'm surprised. Like, oh, I never knew that that was like that. That was it was that it was that dangerous, or it was that difficult, or or that you had to do this other thing at the same time. You know, and I would have never thought of that. And so, by definition, then my procedure, if I had done it, would have been flawed. And that, that, that's just, it's very humbling when you, when you engage in it, but it's, it's fun at the same time. So I think what you brought is some super important points, really, in terms of employee involvement, walking out of the door, being where the work is done, whether it's called management by walking around, the Gemba walks on the, on the quality side, asking people some really powerful questions around risk, hazards, is there a safer way to do it? Um, anything that's not the usual way, the way it's intended, that they're having to, to patch around for some reason, um, trying to get more worker involvement in projects, improvements, but making this really a way of life. Um, and I think that's where the secret sauce is, is, is it's not a project, it's just how I show up every day, is recognizing that there's a lot of power, a lot of knowledge in my, in my team, and I want to tap into it, use them, leverage them to, to, to increase buy-in and to get better solutions. Yeah, yeah. And I guess the, the, you know, the kind of the last thing I would say, which was something I actually, uh, I was in a workshop yesterday, and uh, a union rep was in the class with, it was a leadership workshop, but there was a union rep, and we were talking about observation, sure. uh, leadership observation, and he said something, it, if your goal is to check a box, then it's not worth your time, because they, the workers will know. But if your goal is to make that person's life better mm -hmm. they're going to realize mm -hmm. it quickly they're going to and then they're going to start engaging back to you right because i think a lot of people don't do this because they're worried well the workers don't want me to go talk to them and stuff like that you know 
Well, if, if your goal is just to go check a box, then yeah, it's don't bother, you know. But if your goal is I'm here to help them and help myself along the way, I think people will respond to that, you know. Yeah. Respond, and I think the other part is is it's a conversation that matters. In your point of your observation, it's not it's not the observation, not the tick in the box. It's it's what conversation are we having, and am I recognizing you if if you do something? I've worked with some organizations just saying, find one thing every week you're going to recognize. And then once you got that, go every day because there's surely some things that are worth recognizing. I said, but they're doing their job. Not necessarily because if, if there's things that are happening, you need to recognize the good. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and if, if we're honest, I would say, one, there's far more good happening than bad. 100%. And I, I would take it even a step further and say, I'm not sure we even understand what the good is all the time because the good we see is often when when things go according to our plan but if we admit that our plans are always flawed you know um there's ne they're never they're never perfect you know sometimes negligibly so sometimes wildly so then man it, that means there's something there that's taking success from the jaws of failure and i think we need to go out and figure that out and acknowledge that as well yeah the, the favorite recognition I heard yesterday, I think it was, it was an employee who saw a problem, saw there was something that wasn't per the spec, and then brought it back and then inspected every piece of equipment on the rack to, to see if it was on the others. Found that sure enough, that defect on that one thing, which was a safety hazard, also impacted all the others and then dealt with it. Right. So wow. this is this and this is worthy of recognition 10 times over because you're going beyond you're saying I'm seeing a safety hazard on this piece of equipment and you're trying to fix the, the root cause of it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I guess my challenge to to any leader is for every one of those that we see, I bet there's like 10 more that we're just yeah. not seeing, not noticing. Right. And so, you know, this that that creates the challenge of okay this is why i got to get out there more i got to get out there and see this and and, and learn from it because if if in your observations the only thing you're getting is things are going according to plan or people are deviating from my plan <laughs> that's, that's okay but it's not sufficient right if you're never learning anything surprised by anything then you're probably not you're probably not getting out enough you're not asking the right questions you're not engaging Absolutely. There was one CEO who said, and, and I never found the stats to see if it's true, but he says, I want to see four times the recognition to everything that I'm finding an opportunity for improvement because we want to celebrate the goodness that's happening every day. And so yeah. if you're looking for the goodness, then you can celebrate it. But if most people, they're not looking for it. They're looking for what's wrong that's not on the tick box versus yeah. what's good about today. Fundamentally, and I think that actually is gets back to a key challenge we have in safety quality probably also but maybe to a lesser degree is that it's far easier for us to think about examples of unsafe things than it is to think about examples of safe things right um you know what was the last unsafe thing you saw we can probably think of that pretty easily what was the last safe thing you saw that's a bit harder because what does that even mean and you know is it just the absence of unsafe things? Is it the presence of something else? You know, I would say it's more the latter than the former, but, you know, I think part of our getting out there and engaging with people is learning about what it is to be safe, 
you know? And yeah, we're, we're also going to help the workers learn about that too. But if we're not learning on that process as well, Correct. Then, yeah. you know, and so that's where the recognition starts to come in because you start to realize, wow, there's a lot more going on than I expected. These people are doing a way better job than I expected. <laughs> and and, I or they're dealing with a lot of things that are not as expected, that are not per the plan, and they're fixing it. So there's kudos on that front because they're fixing it safely. But let's still learn from what's happening. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Totally agree. And need a lot more of that. Definitely. <laughs> so, Ron, thank you so much for sharing your, your wisdom on this very important topic. Um, and I really encourage people to, to, even if it's a baby step, to start thinking about how do I engage my workers more? How do I get them to participate? How do I get them part of a safety program? Even designing key elements of your strategy. Just really rethink the the power equation in terms of who know who has the most knowledge and, and information that can can improve our safety performance. So thank you so much for sharing that, Ron. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. It's a fun conversation. Definitely. Like what we do? Share this on your socials and tell everyone. Thank you for listening to The Safety Guru on C-Suite Radio. Leave a legacy. Distinguish yourself from the pack. Grow your success. Capture the hearts and minds of your teams. Elevate your safety. Like every successful athlete, top leaders continuously invest in their safety leadership with an expert coach to boost safety performance. Begin your journey at execsafetycoach.com. Come back in two weeks for the next episode with your host, Eric Makrowski. This podcast is powered by Propolo Consulting.